It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 100 of Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. I am David, and I have my buddy Chris on the other line. Chris, did you ever think this thing would make it to episode 100? Nah, I didn't think I'd be doing it by 100. I really didn't. Um, we talked about this before. We talked about it on the podcast that it was kind of well. I don't know if we've ever directly said it on here. You and I have talked about it that it was it wasn't anything I was necessarily into doing, but I did it because my friend David wanted to do a podcast, so I said, "Sure, let's try it." And here we are. Yeah, I thought it'd probably fizzle out pretty quickly, and yeah, as you said, the hundredth one, and you know, it's it's uh it's led to some pretty cool things. You know, I, I, um, I've got to meet some people that I have really admired for a long time musically. Uh, one we'll talk about here in just a minute, but, uh, it's in addition to just being fun, as you said before, it's, it's grown our friendship. Um, it's been enjoyable to meet the people that also podcast. It's been great to meet musical heroes of your, of, of ours, and then just talk music. And, and let's not forget, too. I mean, really, I, I feel like almost kind of some of the listeners are, I, I would go so far as to call friends. Yeah, I, I agree with every, everything you just said. It just it blows my mind when, when I approached you with the idea of us starting this. <clears throat> Man, I didn't know if two people would listen to it. I just thought it would be fun, a fun thing to try. And uh, it's just uh, it's blown my mind. It's grown so much. We're on pace to almost double our uh, listenership this calendar year from the previous calendar year so thank you for everybody uh that uh that listens and and it tells people about our um little podcast we have here and you know when i when i think about like cool things that that happen you know obviously you and i've become better friends uh because of it that's really good and then i think about the other friendships you know um uh the guys from decibel geek growing up rock uh, potter than hell uh, and then the other podcasters that we that we've met, um, I just really appreciate their friendship, and they help us with our show, and we help them with their shows. And then, you know, I go back to our first guest, Todd Poole. Um, we approached him. We 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 knew nothing about what we were doing. We knew nothing about interviewing, and uh, he was just a perfect, great interview. And I mean, he's become he's become a, a very good close friend of ours. And we you know we 
support him. We just went and saw him. Uh, Roxy Blue had their album release party. Was it last week? You and I went, and uh, yeah, just our friendship with him. And then you know, I know it was cool for you. I remember us driving uh, up to St. Louis on a very cold weekend to see uh, Michael Graves, and what we didn't we didn't know how long that interview was going to last. It wound up going ninety minutes. Um, and yeah, then, and, then, and then seeing him too, like we we saw him. We we haven't talked about this since we did this podcast, but we just saw him do the uh, the two Misfits records he recorded, and you could tell he wasn't just BSing us. He remembered us, you know, and was and was very cool to us, and asked how the podcast was going, and it's like, wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, very cool. And I, I think about um, let's see, you know, we interviewed Troy Lakett of Tesla. If you'd have told you and I in 1990 that you know I'd have Troy Lakett's cell phone number and would have him on our podcast, I would have told you, you know, you're crazy. Uh, and, and, you know, we have those experiences. And then, uh, you know, you and Kaiten, our buddy Kaiten, we got to thank Kaiten, uh, who's been on our podcast several times. Kaiten lined up that Striper interview and Kaiten pretty much put it together. Kudos to him. Uh, very thankful for Kaiten's input. He's been on several episodes and helped us. Uh, the Striper interview was so cool. We're at Graceland and, we get the full band and according to their publicist, they don't know if the full band has ever done a podcast before. Um, just, just, uh, just really, really cool. And and we have a a lot more stuff that we want to try to do in the future. We want to still do Chris and David episodes, but we want to try to get more, um, interviews. And, uh, like we just had, uh, Greg, uh, uh, Prato on last week. Uh, Chris couldn't be on it because we had a, uh, basically a Skype and computer malfunction at the last second. And obviously he is a busy man. And so I just had to go on with it without Chris, but, uh, we're going to have him on again, hopefully. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. It's, it's led to a lot of cool opportunities. I was thinking today, I was looking at different vinyl records that I've gotten signed all because of this podcast. So, uh, I, I've really enjoyed it and it's really, uh, it's really been cool. Um, to give you all a little behind the scenes here on most of our interviews, um, which I think go off really well. It's all because of Chris. He organizes the questions and uh, lays them out in a, uh, usually like a chronological order. And then uh, on some of them, he does almost all the prep, like Jack Gibson of Exodus. And he told us off camera, that was one of the best interviews he's ever had all because Chris was so prepared and knew his stuff. So Chris does a lot of that. Uh, arranging the interviews and, and putting them together. I uh, handle a lot of the social media stuff and the editing of things, but uh, we, we kind of play off each other's strengths and weaknesses. And uh, and then, like I said, our buddy Caton has helped us out a lot, and you know he's always welcome on. So, uh, episode one hundred, I, I, I never thought we would get here, but um, I'm pretty proud of it, to be honest with you. And it's led to a lot of really cool opportunities. Yeah, and I will say too, it it. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It it made me realize, this has made me realize too, that our musical tastes are not nearly as close as I thought they were. You know, I mean, we still, there are there are definitely, we have a, definitely a lot of paths that, that cross, um, like a lot of the same stuff. But there's been, there are so many differences, but I think that's what makes it better. You know, it'd be boring um, if it was all the same thing. Yeah, it would be. You know, if I tell you this album, every single album you think is that I think is great, you do too. All the ones that suck, you think they suck. You know, do you think jam bands are just jam music's wonderful too? Um, it's not going to work. 
So I, I got to be here to be the voice of reason and say, no, Jim, you're just not that cool. <laughs> well, and somebody's got to do it. So and, I'll, I'll step up. And I'll tell you some of that punk's just three chords and, uh, <laughs> and the truth. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the truth, but and, and that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is how eclectic our guest list has been. I mean, we've had uh, producers, we've had writers, we've had, you know, uh, glam metal people, hard rock people, punk people, country people. Uh, and we want to keep that up in the future. Chris and I have talked about several angles that we're going to go with uh, different guests coming up. And uh, we just like how eclectic it is. And, and we just really appreciate everybody for listening. That's the main thing, because uh, we w- probably wouldn't be able to keep doing it if nobody listened. So um, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I have. Yeah. And I would just say, too, what, one thing I've really enjoyed, too, are, are the different you know, you've you've had a couple. I have as well. But there's certain p- people that listen that are so in, in line with what you listen to, to where, you know, I, I, you know, they recommend something, and I have as much faith in them as I, I do my cousin. You know, when they tell me something to listen to, it's not like some people throw some stuff out to me. It's like, yeah, maybe I get around to it, maybe I don't. But then some people, when they recommend something, I go straight to it. Yeah, and it's but it's. I, I love that. Yeah, your boy, uh, your boy Rune, for you. Man, he has sent me so many good <laughs> things. I mean, he, the the last one he sent probably would even butcher the name. About some, jeez, uh, now they're German and they're kind of like a, a um, I would say they're they're one of these ones that's that's thought of that's this experimental atmospheric, you know, black metal shoegaze type stuff. But there's no. It's like I said to him, I don't really hear black metal in these bands, but whatever. But phenomenal. Yeah, it's re- really cool. And he, he's in, he lives in what, Norway? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah what is the band? I, got, I know I butchered this. I mean, this is the dumb, you know, Lanthlos, L-A-N-T-L-O-S. Really, really cool stuff. But anyway. Yeah, and and shout out to uh, Jim Regan in New York. Uh, he listens to uh, this podcast, and I follow him on all his social media. And he always posts a picture or whatever record he's listening. I don't think he's ever put anything up there I didn't like. So uh, appreciate him, and we appreciate everybody for listening. So Chris, it's been a couple of weeks since we've actually uh, uh, recorded one of these, and I know you're really big on that new Life of Agony album, aren't you? I love it. You know, this is this is um, you know here's the thing. I, I really like the songs. I really like them. I think it's such a good Life of Agony record. Um, man, have they come back strong since they got back together with their the, the last two records they put out. But for people that are are not familiar with Life of Agony, they um, they are New York City uh, early days. They were more hardcore, and their first record is kind of a crossover hardcore metal type record. Uh, but it still has a little bit of the elements of what was going on at the time, you know, the 93 kind of the, the grunge type sound. But this first album they came out with was called River Runs Red. And it's a man, I don't know how to say it. it it's it's a it's an emotional record to listen to. It's a it's it's a crazy record. It band starts out and the first record is a concept concept album. And it, it tells the story. It, it's basically about. It's about suicide, but it's anti-suicide. It's not glorifying it. And it just goes from every few songs, there'll be a break. Like the first one is Monday. 
and then you'll go into Thursday a few tracks later. And it's just this teenage kid, and it's basically just his life is coming apart, and he's living in hell. And at the end of the album, I mean, it, it plays like a movie. That's the crazy thing. And at the end, Friday, the mom walks in the bathroom, and he's obviously cut his wrist. And like I said, it's a definitely a serious record. And I, I, I heard that they were going to this new one. And again, that one's called River Runs Red. This The new one is called The Sound of Scars. And I'd heard it was going to pick up on River Runs Red on that story all these years later, 26 years later. And I was like, well, how are they going to do that? And I didn't, it never really occurred to me. Well, wait a minute. Nobody ever said he had to have died. And so we fast forward 26 years later. And the first part of the album is where the, the, River Runs Red is more of a, it's a week. It goes through a week. This one covers a lot more ground. It picks up right from the same sounds you hear at the very end of, of River Runs Red. That's where it is on sounds of, uh, The Sound of Scars. And it's his, I guess, he's starting, he's, he, through the record, he's, it's a hard time for him. He's, you know, it's the anniversary of it. And then by the end, um, I surrender. It's kind of like he's given in and he's getting himself better. So it's really a, a positive record. And so the way that they did this, I, I've never known a band to do anything like this. So I think it was, it was different and it just played out so well. And I listened to both records front to back just to hear them in that sequence. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, but forget the story. It's just great, great music. I, I can't say enough about it. I would say, I'd say it's definitely a contender for my album of the year so far. I love it. I think that's really cool when you have a band that can do that with the, um, you know, how one song uh, ends and you have another one that picks it up. I, I think Radiohead does that a couple of times uh, with some of their stuff. That That's really cool. I didn't realize it was a concept album. Yeah, and, and I would. I mean, anybody that's ever heard a couple of Life of Agony th- songs, whatever, and you think, oh, they sound pretty cool. Do yourself a favor. Listen to, don't just listen to the sound of scars, but listen to River Runs Red and then Sounds of Scars. Um, it's an intense listen, and I know I sound like a total music dork, but if you're listening to us, you are too, you know, or else you wouldn't be listening to us. Right. So uh, try it out. Give it a listen. It's it's a it's a cool listening experience. Different. What else you got? Anything else new? Uh, there's some other stuff, but you know, I. In effort of time, we'll, we'll kind of curb it. I'll just say, that, let me, here's how I'll make my transition. Life of Agony is playing, um, they're doing a tour in Europe right now. And man, I hope they do some stuff, something that um, won't be too crazy to drive to at some point. But they're on tour right now with uh, Doyle of the Misfits opening for them. And so that'd just be, an, that's a, man, that'd be a cool lineup. But anyway, so, you know, the, the Misfits, they played their, they played a show about, I guess it was about two weeks ago in New York City, and that was the 10th show. And I, I won't bore everybody with the details, but if you're interested in the Misfits and why they're playing, just just Google it. You'll find it. Uh, basically, long story short, Jerry Only the, uh, and Glenn Danzig were suing each other over rights, names, merch, all that kind of stuff. And found turns out uh, Jerry was going to win. Glenn was going to be out of a ton of money. And Jerry was, it was never anything about being vindictive. He seized the opportunity. Jerry got what he wanted. He used it to get, they worked out some deals. He worked with Glenn and 
part of their agreement is that they would do two, they do 10 reunion shows. And over the course of about since 2016, they played their 10 and I didn't know if they'd ever do another one. And a few days after that New York show popped up that, uh, they're playing one in Philadelphia and I've never been to Philadelphia. And I thought, well, I've always wanted to now's as good a time as any. So I will be seeing the legendary misfits, Jerry only, Glenn Danzig, Doyle, Dave Lombardo of Slayer on drums, um, Dropkick Murphy's opening, Agnostic Front will be the, the first band. So I am so excited about this. And it's cool. Like I said, they announced the tickets, they announced the show just a couple of days after that New York show. And so this is kind of a bonus right now. We're playing with house money at this point. And, and then tickets went on sale at the end of that week. And it, from the time they went on sale until the show, it's only about a month away. So I'm I'm looking forward to that one. That one's going to be that's 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 a bucket list show. Which three bands? They can all play a full set, and you can be out of there in two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, well, you know the funny thing is, Misfits the Misfits play nearly thirty songs, but you always joke about the Michael Gray songs how they're quick and all, but they're nothing like that. some of the dance. Some of the dancing Misfits songs are you know three minutes or so, but there are a lot of them that are like fifty seconds to two minutes. So, yeah, it probably, to get through nearly 30 songs, they can probably do that in an easy hour and a half. Well, that'll be fun. I, I know you'll have a good time, and you'll have some good uh, some good stories and get some good pictures for us, I'm sure. Well, I don't know about the pictures, because I think they're still doing the thing oh, where you yeah, got to check right. in. Your, yeah, which, you know, when, the, the crazy thing is, there's a part of me that hates it, and there's a part of me that loves it. Because if, if I could get my, my phone in there, I'd be filming, taking pictures, getting distracted from the show like we all do. And I think it'll be kind of cool to just have to watch the show. That's God true. forbid. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, let's see here. The only thing I've got is um, Trigger Hippie has their second album out. If you're not familiar, that's uh, Steve Gorman of the Black Crows' band. Uh, the first incarnation had Audley Freed and uh, Joan Osborne and Jackie Green in it. And, uh, those they're out and he's replaced uh Joan Osborne with um a young lady by the name of Amber Woodhouse and uh are you familiar with the band Band of Heathens Chris? No, I'm not. Okay. All right, so as their singer. Anyway, it's probably going to be a, in the running for like Americana album of the year. It's a little bit soul, a little bit funk, a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. Um but uh it's it's really really good. It really surprised me and they're going to be coming to Memphis in December, so I may try to get up there and uh, and see that. Other than that, that's the only like new thing I've been listening to. So should we uh, should we uh, tell everybody about our guest for this week? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I started back in like June or July, knowing we were coming up close to episode one hundred, and trying to come up with something. Somebody really. It doesn't do a lot of interviews that would be really cool to hear that has a good story. And, uh, you know, like most people know, I'm, I'm in Jackson, Mississippi and Chris is in Memphis, Tennessee. And we've done, we've done a couple of Memphis bands and, um, we've done, I've done interviewed Cody uh, Dickinson of the North Mississippi All-Stars, which you'll hear us talk about this in the interview. But I was like, there's a band that, that I really like that I just, you never hear anything out of anymore. And, that's actually about to change as you'll hear in this interview. So three fifths of the original incarnation of blind melon are from Mississippi. And so I reached out to their management, went back and forth. And finally um, they said that Roger Stevens, the 
guitar player and founding one of the founding members would do an interview. And so we went back and forth for a couple of weeks trying to set up the time. And then finally, it was in late July or early August, he, uh, he, we able, were able to make it work. And he had kind of said, hey, I'll give you 20 minutes. And so you'll hear in this interview, 20 minutes went by really quick. And um, I, you know, I tried to uh, tell him, say, hey, you know, we're at 20 minutes. And he said, no, I'll, I'll keep talking. And we wound up, it's close to an hour. I, I, there's a couple of pieces I had to cut out, but uh, it's close to an hour interview. And you'll hear him talk about it. And it's, it's really cool. He gets pretty deep and personal at times of talking about, you know, he was the last person in the band to see Shannon Hoon alive and uh, uh, the documentary that's coming out. And so after we did the interview, he reached out to me and said, hey, guys, I'll be playing we'll be playing in Arkansas in a couple of weeks. Would you like to come and be our guest? And so, excuse me, Chris and I wound up in Arkansas and we got to meet him and hang out with the band backstage. And it was kind of funny. Uh, he asked us to just to hang out. We wound up, they're off basically eating dinner and it's them and their families and me and Chris for about 30 or 45 minutes. But, uh, he could not have been a nicer guy. And I really feel like at times he really opened up in this interview. Yeah, I agree. And and one thing too that that people like you said people I think have forgotten about Blind Melon and and you know and I, I'm I'm guilty. You know, you, some you you forget because Shannon Hoon died. Well, how can you have Blind Melon? And if that's the argument that anybody listening to this has, man, I get it. Um, but you know the thing is they found the replacement who doesn't try to just imitate. And do you know karaoke blind melon? But he, so he has his own sound, but he does sound a lot like Shannon Hoon, a lot like him, and just an absolute perfect replacement. And so, you know, if you get a chance to see him, you're gonna get a great show because those songs that you you love, you remember, you know, that put that time stamp on your brain. Go relive them because man, they crush it live and they will play everything you want to hear like i said he is this this guy's great singer they're doing new music um this and i know david you're going to close out with one of the new songs that's getting released that's just about to be released by the time we put this out we'll have the song on so we'll put it at the very end it is such a good song and i and i will tell you it's up there with anything that blind melon has done that's how good it is i'm not just saying that because he took the time to let us interview him it's just it's that good so they still make great music they're out there um you know it's, it's no different than somebody like say allison chains you know he lane's dead they they still wanted to play music they found somebody that can that can do it you look at queen well freddie's dead they got Adam Lambert, and he does a damn good job. So, you know, it's they're still making music. Give them a chance. I don't think you'll regret it. Yeah, and Travis was was super nice to us. So was uh, Chris Christopher Thorne, uh, one of the other uh, guitar players. They were super nice to us. So, um, shout out to them for their um, hospitality. And thank you to their management. Thank you to Matt, who helps with their uh, Facebook page for helping set this up. Um, we just really, really appreciate it. And so to celebrate, um, I have a Blind Melon gift pack. I'm not going to tell everybody what's in it because it's just going to be a surprise for you. So when I post this uh, episode on Facebook, the first person to uh, respond to it uh, and tag Blind Melon in their response, 
uh, I'm going to send it to you in the mail and it's going to be a, a really cool prize pack. And so, um, thanks to my buddy Ian Rice for sending me that stuff. He's a, he's a big blind melon fan. So, uh, Chris, here we are. Episode 100. Didn't think we would get there, but it's been a fun ride. It has been. So yeah. Uh, people listening, enjoy this interview. Um, yeah, just, 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 I think you, I think you'll dig it. This guy is a very, he's very open. And like David said, it gets, it gets pretty deep there towards the end. And, and big thank you to Rogers uh, for doing that. He didn't have to do it and he was super nice to do it. So uh, at the end, we're going to uh, play out with a new song called Too Many to Count. I'm going to remind you this interview was recorded about three months ago. So he's going to talk about upcoming new music. That new music is out. The first two songs are, and hopefully the album will be out soon. Thank you so much to everybody that's listened, that's been a guest, that's helped us with this. Thank you, Chris, for agreeing to do this with me. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, And this is episode 100, and now... Here we are, Roger Stevens from Blind Melon. So, um, uh, for, for those that are listening, the reason that uh, I reached out to Rogers was this is in celebration of our 100th episode and, uh, Chris is based in Memphis and I'm, I'm based out of Jackson, Mississippi. And we've had a couple of Memphis bands on and we've had uh, some people from Mississippi on here like Cody Dickinson from the North Mississippi All-Stars. But, uh, there's a, another band. He's amazing. I love that band. Oh, uh, they're amazing, aren't they? Um, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I talked to, um, to um, the guitar player, his name is uh, Luther. What's his name? Luther Dickinson. That dude's amazing. He's like one of my favorite players. I'm just even slip my mind for a second. But I, I, you know, I talked to him like a few years ago, and um, yeah, that dude's he's incredible. He really is. No pick, plays the slide, and just uh, all of his fingers oh, are working dude, at he, one time. He eats my lunch every night for sure. Well, so, um, Rogers, a lot of people, I don't think, know that, I, I guess, three-fifths of the original uh, band, Blind Melon, actually from uh, around the West Point, Mississippi area, if I remember correctly. Yep, that's right, yeah. Um, me and Brad, or Brad and I, was, uh, was the bass player up until uh, a couple of years ago. We grew up in the, uh, we grew up in West Point, and Glenn, the drummer, grew up in Columbus. Were you guys friends before you went out to California? I know you and Brad. Oh, yeah. You and Brad went out together, though, right? Right, but, but uh, we had a band in high school, um, and Glenn had a different band called Cafe Des Moines from Columbus, and they were actually good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whereas you know Brad and his band, we really weren't very good, but um, they. Um, he was, I think Glenn, you know, it's a couple years older than me. And he, uh, he was in Columbus, so it was 15 minutes away. It was an exotic big city, you know, compared to West Point. <laughs> so, you know, we were intimidated by him. Um, All right. But I had been on the, you know, I was on the swim team with Glenn since I was five or six years old. So, and Brad, you know, so, I mean, I've known both of them since, 
that age, really, as early as I can remember. Uh, so y'all really are childhood friends. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we kind of ran in different circles. You know, I was more of a lone wolf. Um, and uh, <laughs> Brad's a pretty popular guy. And Glenn, you know, he just he was uh, living in a much more advanced world than he could come. So, Rogers, usually when we start off each interview, we like to ask the, the person the exact same two questions. What was your earliest memory of music, and who was your first favorite band? My earliest memory of music was either, it was the same situation, which was riding around in the back of my mother's station wagon. You know, she had one of those wood-paneled uh, Buick station wagons. I think she had two in succession. Uh, one was sort of a, a cream color, which would have been the one that I remember being. Uh, I heard two particular songs. And um, uh, the next one was Dark Jake's Down. And I remember it because we, you know, we spent hours selecting that particular color at the beer dealership. But, um, which is custom, by the way. Um, but we had, um, I remember hearing the band on the run. And just being like enamored with that song. And I remember hearing Sister Golden Hair Surprise by uh, America. I don't know if you remember that band. Right, right. But that, that, it's a great song. And um, also, um, you know, just a lot of that sort of 1970s AM radio gold, basically. A ton, like all of it. I would listen, I would, I would run at church every Sunday. Because uh, Casey Kasem at noon would recap the top three hits from last week on America's Top 40. And then, you know, he was back into it from number 40 down to number one, which was, you know, Sunday afternoon from noon to two, roughly. So I was into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, but I was into, like, you know, hit records. And and, um, and as far as, like, a favorite band, like, the, the it never occurred to me to you know, actually do it until I was um, I saw Van Halen play in 1983 on the 1984 tour at Memphis Mid-South Coliseum and that was the first concert you know that I went to and sat in the very top row and uh, you know was collecting all that reefer smoke which we'd never smell right. and um, and so I was uh, I just turned uh, 14 and you know, I saw that show, and I was like, wow, you know, because you know, I, I was a comic book kid, so and, you know, at one point I believed I was going to have superpowers, you know, and live to New York or something, but by, you know, by that age, it slowly started to dawn on me that wasn't going to happen, so um, <laughs> it looked like the next best thing, you know. So I guess, uh, were you, I mean, were you playing, already playing guitar, or was it literally seeing Eddie Van Halen? that made you want to pick it up? Hold on a second. Okay, I killed that. Um, <clears throat> well, ask the question again, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, was it, were you already playing guitar? I mean, were you filling around with the guitar already? Or no. Or literally seeing no. Eddie Van Halen live that makes you want to play? Pick it well, up? I, you know, yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, I'll go a little bit deeper into that story then if you're asking. But, you know, I mean, I wasn't playing yet. I had, um, a couple of years of piano lessons, you know, from a, uh, a knuckle rapping piano teacher, you know, and he's like, whack it with the pencil on the knuckle. Um, and, um, 
And then uh, when I, we were around, it's probably around the eighth grade, I think. And I went to, um, you know, a, a, a private Christian school, Baptist, you know, oriented. And they had, they brought in this guy who was, um, you know, sort of a traveling preacher man, but he, <laughs> he talked about rock and roll. And he, he put up two placards, you know, posters. And one of them was um, the cover of Ozzy Osbourne's Lizard of Oz. And the other was the pentagram with the Motley Crue logo. And I never heard of any of this, you know, it was like the first, my first exposure to it. And so it was an assembly at the school and they called in, you know, the whole school, uh, or at least, you know, the upper grades, you know, basically to just scare the shit out of them about this stuff, you know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> reverse effect, I'm assuming. You know, which, which it, it worked for the vast majority of people, but not for me. I was totally enamored with it instantly. And, uh, it, it completely backfired on me. Um, and, um, I mean, this is, this, this is amazing. I mean, it's whatever. I don't know how many hundreds of kids were in the room, but some of them remember this right now. And uh, so and around that time, they, I, they either played live or they replayed the Us Festival, uh, which was a big, like, heavy metal band festival with Motley Crue and Van Halen and all these people. They played on the radio one night, uh, the Two Below radio station. And um, so, you know, I recorded it with a cassette player. And I listened to that over and over and over. I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I mean, these, you know, because they were doing all the interviews with the bands in between the sets and whatever. It was like, clearly these people had figured out something, you know, that you know, sounded appealing to a teenage boy. You know? um, so I don't know. I went to see Van Halen and I saw the music and that was it. Well, the, the guy putting the two albums up, that's a good way for 80% of the kids to go buy those two albums. Which ones? <laughs> you said the uh, was it a Blizzard of Oz and Shout at the Devil. Um, mm. I, I bet eighty percent of them went out. I got. I got. I remember my dad smashed my um, Prince record. I got Purple Rain. Oh, and he heard Darling Nikki, and we had this big old heavy wooden chopping block in our kitchen. You know, like a butcher uses. Mm-hmm. And he brought out a hammer and smashed it on it. I mean, people didn't react kindly to stuff. You have to remember it. And so, um, but Brad. I just, I don't know. We were the only people that were like us because, I mean, we certainly grew our hair long, which fucking freaked everybody out. And, um, you know, I got a job and I quit the job because uh, they tried to make me cut my hair and nobody ever heard of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, we were just nuts. I was completely driven from that age on. You know, my family sort of completely, you know, fell apart at that same time, so it was like, you know, it was an escape. Uh, I, I, can, I can relate to having it to some, my, I remember my mom taking away my beast voice, licensed to ill, when she found out it said, eat me on the tail wing. Oh uh, man, I take that from you right, right now, man. That's <laughs> no, a, it's devastating. A filthy record. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, um, Rogers. I mean, you would have never thought that that band would do what they did. I mean, no on that record. You know what I mean? They, they made yeah. like, uh, Five or six masterpieces. One of the most diverse, I mean, groups. Including that one, in hindsight, including that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I just finished. I just finished. I know. Getting off topic. One, it would have been like, yeah, it would have been the same thing had that been the only one. But they just like they showed such. They had such a gap. It was like, wow. If you haven't, if you haven't checked out the Beastie Boys, if you haven't checked out that Beastie Boys book, highly recommend it. The book. It's awesome. Yeah, it's called Beastie Boys Book. Yeah, I haven't seen. I mean, I just seen around New York a lot. You know, to look up there for. 
same label as them. So I saw a bunch of shows and got, you know, see them around. But I was in awe of them. So Rogers, when when you and Brad move out to Brad Smith move out to L.A., were your parents supportive of it? Because I I think I read you were eighteen when you did that. Is that correct? Yeah, like we, like, well, Brad, because um, he was also a couple, he was a couple of grades ahead of me, and he got two years into college, and he was just kind of hanging out. You know, we were playing together, and um, but he, you know, he was. I don't know if he had committed to to doing it all the way or, or just neither of us had at that point because I was still in high school. Um, and so I graduated in 1988. And, you know, that spring into the summer, both Brad and I worked at Bryant Foods in West Point. Um, like I was working right in the abattoir down in Kilfour. Um, you know, heavy <laughs> production line. A lot, a lot, I don't know, I mean, God, I mean, hundreds, maybe a couple thousand hogs a day are slaughtering this joint. Wow. And I'm cutting the shoulders off. And I'm, I'm there, and, and I almost cut my hand off. I have a scar that's all the way across the palm of my hand from the end of my thumb. Like, I mean, it looks like, oh, shit, somebody tried to chop your thumb, your hand off. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, you know, just from that job. I mean, we were just making money, and, and we worked sort of towards the end of the summer, and we just packed up everything that we had. And um, Brad had a Honda Civic hatchback, and we just drove. And um, nobody, everybody told us we were we were out of our fucking minds. And you know what? We were so driven that, and just you know, we just thought we were idiots. I mean, we were like, we're just gonna go to California, you know, get the band a record deal, and you know, uh, pick up our money and do what we're gonna do, you know. Make a bunch of records and, and make it. You know, we just we just assumed it would work, and um, and that served us well. I would say that sort of just blind ignorance really served us well because when we got there, we were fucked beyond. I mean, you know, first of all, the first day we drove. Like I remember, we thought, well, we're just going to drive in Hollywood, you know, and see the Hollywood sign, and. Um, you know, movie stars or whatever you see, you just know, okay, this is where we stop. <laughs> we had zero, no plan. You know, we're looking at big giant maps. This is before you had phones and, you know, Waze or, or, or Google Maps or whatever. Um, so we have these big maps and we're completely lost. And we ended up driving like, like an hour out into the North Valley before we realized we had passed everything. <laughs> and so we turned around and came back and somehow we managed to get on Hollywood Boulevard. Didn't know where to go, and um, so we turned to prostitution that night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then you were still hungry. It was amazing. Nobody would rent an apartment for months because you know every time we went to look at one, we showed up in a Honda Civic with all of our belongings, you know, jammed to the ceiling, and um, so it was just. Um, you know, we were just hapless. But eventually we got it sorted out, and Brad, you know, was, I started working construction with Brad. As it turns out, Brad had a lot of skills, you know. I mean, that did, ended up being able to build a house from the ground up, and he did build a few of them in Los Angeles. Um, this was before we got a record deal. So, um, meanwhile, I, had, I went and worked at a, you know, a rock and roll memorabilia boutique on Melrose Avenue because I couldn't handle the manual labor anymore. 
how um how did you first come across Santa Hoon and how did you know he was the right fit for the band? Um, well, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, to answer your second question, the second he opened his mouth and sang, you were just like, holy crap, that dude's a star, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he did. Uh, I mean, there's, there's something unique and just, I mean, total rock star persona, too. Right. Well, the way that we, we met him was, um, I, um, uh, somebody that, that, you know, Brad and I had a, had, had been like writing and recording demos, just living in sort of, uh, in Hollywood and just working on stuff, you know, and that we were trying to find a singer, you know, we're talking to people, this one, uh, this woman who, I don't know, she was just sort of connected in the music business. She heard demos and tried to help us, you know, and introduced us to Shannon when he came to town, like, right when he got there, which was in a brush trip to California of, of an, un, you know, indeterminate length because, I mean, he ran out the back door of a serious, you know, situation with law enforcement and the aunt just jumped on a greyhound. That's how he ended up there. Um, and, um, you know, because he had, it, it, you know, you know, an extensive history, you know, with law enforcement. Well, but, um, but, uh, anyway, so, but he came out there and his sister, uh, you know, graduated high school with Axel Rose, you know, from the same hometown. And she uh, apparently called Axel or got in touch with him somehow and said, Hey, my brother's on his way out there. Would you like make sure he doesn't get killed? And, um, so like when we met him, he was there, staying with Axel and like doing all this crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, they were in the US at that point. Yeah, I mean, I loved that band. Well, did you guys have um, a lot of interaction with Guns N' Roses? Oh, yeah. I mean, at that time, yeah, we, we you know, I mean, uh, you know, I met Shannon. We went out to, 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 um, we went out to, uh, he came over to this uh, place that we had with Brad and I and, and this drummer. Uh, we had made a, a, a rehearsal studio out of parents' garage that we built. We framed it out, you know, built a room inside of a room so it was soundproof right there. You know, the house next door, you could hear it. You know, and, you know, the fuck thing is we fired that drummer like three months later. But, um, you know, not cool necessarily, but it was kind of necessary in the way that, you know, that's really my Shannon came over and he sat down and he played Change with just 10 minutes acoustic guitar. I was like, oh, you know, the first thing I went to my mind, I was like, wow, he, he, uh, he sounds like a girl. And, and then I thought, well, he sounds like an amazing girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like amazing. It's not like Janet Joplin or something, but it was, I don't know. I mean, it was definitely like so on the money. And that was the thing to this day. You know, my memory of him singing in the room, which he did all the time, was uh, it, you know, his voice was so beautiful. I don't know if we ever properly captured it on recording. We just had it, and it was, it was like it was magic. And whenever he sang, people just stopped, and and, and it, it happened time and again, like time and again. So um, you know, he was clearly just an unusual singer. And so I was like, "Dude, you're a rock star. Let's do it." And he was like, "All right." And so um, and then he went. We went back. Uh, I was sleeping on Brad's couch at this point. I had another place. And he had moved in with this girl. 
And um, <clears throat> so I was sitting on the couch. And so he came back with me. And we just, that night, for whatever reason, he just got completely hammered. Um, you know, as you do when you're young. Right. But, um, and so we're sitting there, and at some point, you know, I don't know, two in the morning, he decided I had time to sleep. And he's laying on the other couch, and I'm laying on you know, the couch, and we sort of like perpendicular to each other. And he said something really, like, it was, it was just like something stupid, like objectively stupid, you know, which he did a lot. And uh, I started laughing at him. And uh, the next thing I know, he's like in my face. And his face is purple. <laughs> I mean, you know, I didn't know about the temper yet, you know, which was formidable. And for whatever reason, you know, we didn't, he didn't hit me or he didn't take a punch or anything. That's about the only time I ever saw that happen. And, um, and he never, like, you know, took a swing anybody in the band, but that dude, he got in so many fights, you know, contrary to his, you know, I don't know what people might think. Well, and, yeah, you know, he was good at it. That was the other thing. You know, he had, he had some, he was an all-American wrestler and a third-degree black belt, you know, he was, he was like an MMA guy. Right. Seems the ones that love it usually are good at it. Yeah, like, I mean, he liked getting hit. Like, I mean, there were times, like, you get in a fight, he'd be, like, smiling at them. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, my whole world would be over. I, I don't like fighting. You know, I've been in enough fights. And, you know, I got somewhere, I'll tell you what, we would always come back in that way. You know what I mean? But, um, but he was, you know, really nuts like that. That's how I met him. And yeah, so, you know, two weeks after that, I'm hanging out and we go to Axel's place and Axel takes us to the movies <laughs> in the middle of the day. Uh, and this is when his, he was at the peak of his fame, really. Because it was after the, they had done the Appetite for Destruction tour, they were done with it. They were in the studio working on their second record, and everybody was looking forward to that. Um, but, um, so he took us to Man's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, the old famous thing, around the Walk of Fame. And we saw Mortal Thoughts with Demi Moore and Bruce Willis, which I, I assume was the set on which they consummated their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Axel bought half of the theater. And so on that half, it was me and Shannon and Axel and this dude named Earl, who was a former New York Giants linebacker. And, um, the other half was a full theater of people like turned you know, to their side looking at us during the movie. <laughs> I mean, it was a weird experience. <laughs> and it was the first time I ever like, really saw like what that was like, you know? So it's crazy. Uh, I'm written one side. <laughs> Rogers, we we've hit like 22 minutes. Are you good just for a few more questions? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm just, honestly, I mean, I'm just sitting out here and I'm not here working anymore. Yeah, All right, we'll, right now, so. we'll just uh, we'll just fast forward on to you know once you do have the record out. Will you when the, so when this comes out? I mean, I've heard a lot of times and read that bands they never the, the song that becomes the hit, the one that puts them on the map. They never expected that to be the single, or certainly not the big one. Mm-hmm. So you know, no rain comes out, and man, it just blew up, and you guys became huge. I mean, everybody knows the Bumblebee, but. Right, I mean, and, and their moms, you know, and yeah. their moms. You know what I mean? It's like, exactly. It's, 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 I've seen sort of both. There's, there's, there's a, there's levels. There's an hierarchy to that. You know, there are hit songs that you happen to know because you listen to so and
And then there are hit songs that everybody knows. I mean, right now, everybody knows Old Town Road. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfortunately. Uh, I mean, No Rain is not that big, but it's big. But it was big, man. It was real big. And so, that being said, you know, a lot of times people are not expecting that. We're were you guys surprised by the success of that song in particular, and then just surprised that really how big that debut blew up? I mean, I know you said you were going out there to make it, and you believed you could make a career out of it, but it's hard to imagine you expected that to happen. You know, um, um, I did expect, like, I was aiming for the highest of highs, you know what I mean? I was aiming to get there. Um I don't. I didn't know at the time what it meant to get halfway there, which can also be good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it ended up happening, sort of, you know, for a moment. And um, you know, to this day, I mean, it, it, you know, that song gets played a lot. But there's still, you know, aside from that, there's there's sort of the rest of it, and people still show up, you know. But I don't think we were. Uh, I guess, yeah. I guess that's what I wanted. <laughs> you know, I wanted to do it more than once. You know. So, but because of but, um, oh, go sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, with with the success of that album uh, and, and everything that it brought with it, um, you guys landed a spot at Woodstock '94, uh, and your mm-hmm. your performance there was actually one of the, you know one of the more memorable ones. Um, what was it like that day? Well, and- Shannon's was, for sure. <laughs> Shannon, I thought Shannon was amazing that day. I think the band was very good that day. But, I mean, what was it like but, being um, on that stage in front of that many people? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the honest answer. I mean, um, I don't know. But uh, I will say this. What happened to us uh, three days prior to that explains, you know, not only the performance, but uh, my, my lack of recall on it. <laughs> because we, we started in Hawaii uh, we played a show with um, Corn for Pyros in Hawaii like on you know with the ocean the backdrop was stunning you know and so as you can imagine that that was that was kind of crazy and then we got on a plane you know and flew all the way to New York and landed at JFK which is a really super long flight and we were you know not of our right minds when we got on the plane you know, for, for, for several reasons, depending on who you ask. And um, by, so the, by the time we got to New York, we landed out there, we got in a van, which, you know, by that time, things started to look kind of grim, you know what I mean? Right. And um, and so we drove from there, a really long drive to upstate New York and all that traffic. Well, not upstate, but like around Woodstock. And uh, we go to a hotel, we go to our rooms, uh, stay there for about two hours and then go get the van again and drive another hour and then go get on a helicopter and fly over that crowd. So by the time we got there, you know, we'd been up for, I don't know, it felt like at least a couple of days. And, um, and so we just kind of doubled down on that to get through it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we landed back there, and it was really something, and we flew right over the crowd, you know, so the right when it was full, you know, and um, you could see, like, how big it was from up high. And we landed back there and just sort of made our way to the stage. It was like a half mile of the stage, and you get off this thing, like, people were saying, you guys are going on in, like, 20 minutes. 
you know. And so we make our way back, and we're seeing all these people that we knew kind of going through the backstage area. So everybody's stopping, and, you know, the tour manager's freaking out. You know, Chris Farley's, like, grabbing people. And and, um, and I remember at one point, uh, I turned around, and Shannon was completely naked. You know, just walking out, you know. Like, you know, behind you, we're sort of making the way to the stage. He's completely fucking naked, and then he gets a dress from his his girlfriend Lisa, you know, who was Nico's mother, his daughter, and um, he puts that on, puts the breasts on, and all that. <laughs> and it's funny, and then we, so he's dressed like that. We're now we're like right behind the stage, and you know, I go over. We're gonna go into this little trailer around the side, and I don't know what we're gonna do. God knows what we're gonna do. But we open the door, and Henry Rollins is there doing push-ups, like all jacked up, his face, like he's right in front of us, like sweating, and just in a rage. <laughs> and um, it was that was a weird, it was just a weird moment. So we just kind of shut the door, went out and walked around the stage and the show. That was pretty much it. We have a video of the whole thing, all of that. Was, was Rollins any, by any way, was he pissed at you guys? What? Was Rollins at any chance? Was he pissed at you guys? I know you said he was in a rage. You said he was working out. No, of course. no, he was like on. He was he was like on push up ninety seven. Okay. When we opened the door, you know what I mean? Like he was in there, like hulking out, getting jacked for the show. Meanwhile, like we're doing everything we can to you know generate you know, um, I don't know, decay. <laughs> um, he's back there getting. Um, so, I mean, it was very different philosophies on, you know, what should be happening before a show, let's put it that way. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it, was a, it was huge. It was massive. But, you know, at that time, we were playing festivals in Europe that were that big, too. Like, we had, you know, gone over and done, like, Glastonbury and Reading and all those, like, massive, this is before things like Coachella and all that. But, you know, Coachella was modeled on those festivals. I mean, they were freak shows over there in the 90s. Non-stop, all summer, everywhere. You just go over there and just start going around doing the festivals. Well, as we as we go to your, getting over to your, your next, when Suit comes out, you know, Galaxy, of course, is a single. Uh, I just absolutely love that song. I love that record. and mm-hmm. But I know it was a bit of a departure. And it seems like, you know, I even remember back you know, as a kid, it, it was... High, I guess high critical acclaim and just like all the critics love uh, I don't know about that dude <laughs> did they not? I thought they did well no I mean I know it's not like, I, know, like, I mean the, the one that people always point out to me is, is you know Rolling Stone gave it one and a half stars um, and just savaged it maybe it's more, maybe it's more of it's that it's lived and it's just over time and it, it, Maybe it's just a legacy of it. Oh, yeah. Kind of way no, that, like, over time, like, yeah. like that sounds, you know, back to the okay, what, Nobody remembers that journalist. Nobody remembers that journalist name, I guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah. Although now that I say that, he's probably won the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, we know a lot. Of, a lot of times, a lot of times, the great albums like you know, Exile on Main Street, and like he said, uh, Pet Sounds, which, you know, which is easily in my greatest one or two albums for sure. But you know, a lot of times those albums it takes it takes a while for people to truly appreciate them. I don't know, maybe. You yeah, know, no, I, hear them, I drop in. I mean, I do hear things you know different ways later. But you know, I, I can. I mean, I feel like now, like I can instantly spot a real work of art. Like 
I heard that Billy Ellis record. And I was like, that girl's huge. She's like, she's like, she just wrote Thriller. You know, I don't know if records get that big now anymore, but um, that's one of them. You know, so um, <clears throat> I I just think that uh, we, we we seriously, I mean, none of that was a conscious effort. You know, we you know we had that hit song, and I mean, we definitely knew that people would have preferred that we had done another one of those. But you know, we, we just weren't going to do that. I mean, we just going to do the where we were. That's exactly what it was. That's a real record, and that's what I, that's where I was going with it. That way. Yeah, and I have no interest in doing otherwise. I can make money elsewhere. You know what I mean? I mean, there's like, it's like, it has to be, it has to be true. You know what I mean? It has to be uh, creatively true. But I know, it's pompous to say that, but I think that, I really believe that. But I do know whether it was bashed or not, at least especially by the one critic you're talking about. But I do I know for sure it's really carried on over the years. And it I could and I you kinda answered my question, what, what you know, you answered it where I was asking, was that kind of right, but, I mean, to but take it a different that, direction? Yeah. But I mean think about it. Look at Big Star, for example. The greatest southern band ever, I think. Oh you know, I love Big that Star. That band Yeah, and that band is like, you know, to me, like I don't know people, I mean, I always felt that they were a lot, that we were a lot like them in certain ways. You know, you've got two guitars that are kind of playing different things at all times, at least, you know, and um, you've got a drummer, kind of busy, the bass, is, you know, there's nothing standard or regular about that band, which is the way we were. We weren't as good songwriters as they, they were, but, um, you know, we had ideas and we definitely had, we were getting there. And uh, the third, you know, the next record we would have made after after the super record would have been, I'm you know, to this day, you know, believe it's well, been amazing. Just I mean, it's we it was just clearly getting better, you know. Well, when you go, I mean, I, this is the part where you know, I mean, you know, it has to come up and hesitate and ask, but you know, when when you do lose Shannon, you know, I mean, I know you must have been going through a ton of emotions. Um, First, first and foremost, you know your your bandmate. I'm assuming your brother in the band. But again, where I, what was? I mean, was there ever a thought of trying to carry on with another singer, or was it always just it was over at that point? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we did eventually. Well, no, um, I know, and we'll get to that in a minute. But that's for ten that, years, at that for, time, whatever. I mean, I just said, but for ten for ten years, at first, yeah, we thought, oh yeah, we could. Um, you know, we should just keep going and try to do something in a different way. And um, it just, um, looking back on that time, I just realized how absurd that is, you know, because we were, uh, we just weren't ready for it. You know what I mean? And um, so that sort of fell apart. We did the Nico record, which is kind of a, a healing thing for us. Um, we went up to um, Seattle and... Uh, and we had a bunch of, you know, outtakes from the Soup record, I think a couple from the first record, and then we had a bunch of demos of Shannon singing, and we just worked with those and made that record. And it, I don't know, it just came out, you know, better than I think anybody expected. Oh, Soul, Soul, Soul One is, is easily one of my favorite Blind Melon songs. Well, that song, you know, was Brad and I wrote that before Shannon even got the band. Really? You know, yeah. Um, I mean, that song was like complete. And, 
but he, you know, of course, sang it better. But uh, yeah, that song was done. We, we never really we kind of played it a little bit at the beginning, but I think we felt like it was just too sentimental or something for where we wanted to be at the time. So it kind of got set aside. But yeah, people do like that one. And um, you know, that recording, I think, is the demo, the first demo that we did of the tune. And when we had this uh, space in uh, downtown LA that we would go and work in. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. So how, how, the question. how did you, how did you decide, you know, it was time to put the band back together and how did you guys hook up with Travis? Um, well, uh, it was not, um, it wasn't anything that we were looking for anymore. I think we'd kind of given it up, you know, we'd all gone on done our stuff and just sort of, we were living on opposite coast. But, um, uh, somebody brought Brad and Christopher had a studio out in LA and somebody brought him by to have, uh, this guy named uh, Kevin Carvel who, who worked at Atlantic Records and uh, he brought Travis by and they kind of worked with him and they were going to work on his music you know recording there and I think you know Brad thought at the time he was like wow you know this dude could sing like Blind Melon you know he could sing those songs and as it turns out he really could you know they called me I was like I was getting actually ready to go to school. I was going to go to law school then. Or at least start college. Mm-hmm. And, but anyway, I ended up flying out there, getting in the room, played a bunch of old songs and listened to new songs. It was pretty clear, like, immediately, that you could hit all of the, the old songs. Just, you know, Shannon was so, so, it was in such an unusual register. You know, it was up there, kind of high, you know. Not easy. But that, that, when you're up there like that or like Robert Plant or whatever, it just sits right on top of the guitars perfectly. Um, so it works, you know. And um, he had that thing, you know. He has a, a lot of other things, too, that, that, that Shannon had. It really sort of took us a long time to get stabilized. You know, in fact, you know, imploded. And, but, you know, we're about to finish this record. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm okay with it, so... Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Well, first of all, just a comment, too, about Travis. I mean, that, what I love about him is, is, yes, he does have the blind melon sound, but it's not just like he's doing some overt, you know, Shannon Hoon impersonation. I mean, he still sounds his own. No, no, he's I mean, a real dude. You know, he's yeah, a real dude. In many ways, really good. he's very similar, you know. Um, but, you know, he's darker in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, Shannon was a lot of fun. You know, Shannon was funny. You know, he, he would snap and there would be problems real quick with him, you know. But Travis is, you know, he's just, he's, he has an intensity about him. And, you know, he's, it's only been really within the last year that he's really been able to harness it. I mean, he's a different dude now. I don't know if you've seen him within the last six months, but like, he looks like Justin Bieber now. <laughs> I call him the Beeps. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't see uh, that. But like, I mean, he's completely like jacked on the brain, you know. I mean, he, he definitely like he's definitely like up to the ante, you know. So I'm gonna get back into my calisthenics, you know. But, well, so, um, <clears throat> uh, jazz aside. Well, Rogers, uh, we we um we appreciate your time. We just have two more quick questions for you, and we'll let you go because right. we're pushing forty minutes, and I, I I really want to be respectful of your time. Um, 
As a, if I want to get off the phone, I'll get off the phone. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all good. Okay. Don't okay. Okay. Yeah. We just didn't. We, we didn't want to take advantage of I'm you. Gonna, I'm gonna make sure. I'm gonna make sure you never call me again. You know, I'm gonna take care of it right now. That's all. All right. Well, uh, this is kind of a random question. How does the song "Soup" not wind up on the album by the same name? Um. Well. I'll tell you, you know, we made a lot of, you know, there's a reason why Aquaville went the way it did, you know, aside from Shannon's death, you know, it's because we made a lot of terrible decisions. Um, but, um, you know, that was probably one of them. But then at the time, you know, because I think it would have improved the soup record when it came out. You know what I mean? Maybe it would have sort of softened the darkness of that <laughs> right. record, you know. But, um, but then in the end, it was amazing to have it for the Nico record. And, um, you know, the way that song got written, it was like, it was pretty much done. Like Christopher, you know, the body of the song with the lyric and the melody when Shannon is singing. Except, you know, and it's Christopher's acoustic guitar, so he had that whole part written out and they had worked it out. And, and Shannon, it was, it was like perfect. And, um, and I had that riff, you know, for the end. And, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if somebody felt like it was too short, or maybe I was just saying I didn't want to try to stick it on the end of it. So we did that, and then and then I think it sort of confused maybe the song mm -hmm. at the time in the moment, and, and um, I, I felt like I, I, I know that you know I, I'm fully to blame for putting putting on the record. Um, so there were other ones that we were that I thought. You know, should be on before that one, but in hindsight, it turned out to be one of the best ones we've ever done. Thought it was completely wrong. You know? And you guys were playing it. You played it at Woodstock, well before it would ever be on yeah. an album. Yeah, it got played. It, it, it had already been played. You know, and I think that was one of those things that, like, you know, I would use in an argument, you know, about why we shouldn't put it on there. It's like, well, look, people have already heard it. You know, we're looking like surprising ten new hot tracks, and not that one. You know, which they've already heard more the same. And think. You know, people. You know, just make stupid arguments all the time. <laughs> well, well, Roger. It's a nightmare to be in a band. You know, what it's a, a nightmare to be in this way. About you shared the new record. When when can we expect to hear this? I know you said you're finishing it up. Is there a time frame? Like, well, we're going to start putting tracks out in, I don't know, a couple of weeks. Awesome. Because um, I, think we're, I, I think we're just not going to really try to necessarily adhere to a conventional release schedule. <laughs> um, we've been, I mean, this is the call, this is the call that I have for 45 minutes right before I talk to you guys. I mean, I literally hung up, texted you, and here we are. But, um, you know, I think, I mean, it's just, you can just put them out and, uh, uh, you know, tell people they're there. I mean, there's tremendous power and that was not available to, um, you know, people like us who were doing this sort of thing back then. Well, Rogers, um, what, but, yeah. So, so you're saying it's probably just not going to be a traditional LP. It's just going to. So I see. I've seen a lot of bands now just release like a song a month. Is that kind of what you're? I think, think what we're going to do. Yeah, I think what we're going to do. I mean, right now there's about six songs that are in the can, and there's about thirty of them that are close. So, and 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 I'm telling you. Um, uh, I feel like, you know, people hear somebody like me saying, well, you know, it's the best thing we've probably ever done. 
and you know the first thing that comes into your mind is like, you know, it's not. You know what I mean? It's not the best. You know, the best thing you ever did is the reason why I'm listening to the interview right now. You know, it, it's the old shit, which is what matters to people. But um, I don't know. I I think it's uh, I think it's unusual in that regard. We'll see. Well, Roger, I don't know how to proceed. I know that I'm pumped about it. Because I know what's changed. I know what's gotten. I know. I mean, there's there's like a there's tangible things that are are a step further that I can hear now, and I'm like, okay, yeah, wow, it's much more expansive in that way. So, well, we are we're very much looking forward to it. I've enjoyed um, all your albums. Yeah, and, I'll send them to you. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Yeah, and like like he was saying, soup just gets better with time. Um, it, it just it it really does, and just a, a phenomenal record. Um, we do need to ask you real quick. Can we go off the record? Can we go off the record for a second? Uh, we'll let's go off the record as soon as I finish the call. How's that sound? I think he okay. wants to say that to us now. You know Yeah. Say what you want to say. I totally fucked that up. I'm sorry. It's a major problem with me. I'm sure you gathered. No. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say. My wife hates me. Hates me. What I was going to say is, is there, did you have any involvement in the uh, Shannon documentary that's coming out? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Absolutely. Okay. Well, it's, I, I've just read about it. I haven't seen it, but it's a collection of videos that he recorded during your time together, correct? Yeah. It's amazing. I heard some people talking about it on, uh, on volume on Sirius XM, uh, the morning well, show, and they were talking about how fantastic it, it was. Yeah, well, I mean, we went to, you know, we went to the premiere, the premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival this year. And um, so we went up there and went to Sirius and did a few, you know, some interviews there and elsewhere that day. And went to the premiere and then we played afterwards. But, um, you know, it was, I mean, we didn't make the thing, you know what I mean? We turned over some videos, mm-hmm. you know, the vast majority of which came directly from uh, Nico, Shannon's daughter, and Lisa... Uh, who is uh, Nico's mother, Shan's girlfriend at the time he passed away. You know, they were, they were life, you know, they were, they were partners, you know. And um, so Shannon had shot hundreds of hours of video. He had a video camera from the day I met him in Hollywood to, and he filmed everything up until about two minutes before he died. And uh, that's what the movie is. There's no talking heads. There's no narration. It's an edit of that footage, you know, done by Danny Clinch, who's a real artist, and um, Colin Hennessy and Taryn Gould, who's the editor, who is a magician. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, it blew. You know, it was it was interesting, I think, to um, to film people who don't know anything about the band or care about the band, because. Um, there's a thing that's happening now, as you can imagine, where they're, they're just a bunch of people like Shannon who, you know, you know that the notion of hours of video became viable in terms of economics around that time to a lot more people. And um, so you have these sort of archives. And so, you know, when somebody is of note, people find out, oh, crap, there's 150 hours or whatever. In Shannon's case, I think it was about 400 hours of video they shot. Jeez. He shot everything. It's basically a star is born, shot in real time by the star. I mean, it's that story. Wow, and that's awesome. 
I can't wait. It's it, it, incredible. I mean, I, 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 you know, we went to the, to the, to the premiere, right? And um, it sold out all the screenings at the festival. I think there's like six screenings. And it was, the, you know, I think one of the only films to do that this year. It was the first film to do that this year. We had no idea. I mean, we had no idea anybody was interested in it. But, you know, Danny is um, obviously who he is. And, uh, and I think, you know, you know, Tara's career had really taken off. She had some real success, uh, you know, and, and like Sundance and had, had made some, you know, her name known. People sort of interested in her work. She's a real artist. I never understood, you know, what that is, you know, editing necessarily about, you know, in terms of film. I know what it means in making records. Right. But, um, uh, to put that into a narrative form where it makes sense, I mean, it just floats. You watch it, it it's, it's raw, and it's everything, and you will know him by the end of it. Like, you'll know him, like, I watched it, I was like, anybody who watches this will know him like I know him. You wow. Know, to, in a sense. I mean, because it's, it's completely through his eyes. The whole, everything that happened to us, everything. You know, in the beginning, he's like going to the studio with Guns N' Roses, and then, you know, we can sign a record deal. It's like the whole thing. And then just like being in you know, New Orleans, working at Kingsway, doing Super Record, and it's, it's dark. And, and um, was that, I mean, da- was was that Daniel Lenoir's studio? I was the right? fuck away. Yeah, 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 it was. It was magic. Total magic, that place. Uh, you know, already we worked there. Jeff Buckley had just, yeah, Andy Wallace produced our record. Produced and mixed that record, right? He had a huge career because he um, he mixed Nevermind and like all the Rage Against the Machine, all these records, you know. And um, he was known primarily as a mixer, but then he produced the Jeff Buckley record and he mixed that and then he came straight from that like the next day to start on the Stoop record. And so, um, you know, we kind of got to know Jeff at that time because he was coming in and out and listening to mixes with Andy. But, um, yeah, it was just an extraordinary con. And he got everything. From the Woodstock stuff, I mean, you know, that was, you know, I said we had a video of walking, you know, getting, we had a video of, you know, going to the helicopter, getting on the helicopter, <laughs> flying over the crowd, you know, getting off, walking towards the stage and walking right out onto that stage and then just doing his thing. It's incredible. Um, so uh, he got good at it, too. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, they, they, you wouldn't want to see necessarily their home videos, but he, you know, he had an eye for it. And, um, and once he learned his camera, which he really did, it was everywhere. You know, I, I, you know you'd be in the bathroom doing God knows what, and think you're by yourself, and you look up, and all of a sudden, on the top of the stall, and there's the camera. You know, and right. you're sitting on the other side of the <laughs> he just non-stop. It's relentless. Who knows? He, he may have. Who knows? He, he never let up. Made it a film never made. let up with it. Yeah, and you know the the last scene in the film is um, is the la- is is way after the last time I saw him. You know, the last I guess probably the last person to see him because we rode up the elevator in the hotel. Um, although I wouldn't say the last person, but you know that we know of in her group. Because he left the hotel after that, you know, 11 in the morning or something. Mm. But that video is from right before that. So, I don't know, it just haunts me, you know what I mean? I'll never, ever get over it. It's, um, there's not a lot of positive stuff I can derive from it. It just fucking sucked. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it's traumatic, you know. And all that time I spent afterwards thinking about, you know, I'm going to like keep going or whatever. I'm starting to be completely in shock. You know, it, it wasn't until about three or four years ago that I came out of it and started really hearing the music again. And that's really, you know, I think that's a similar experience for a lot of people in the group. Yeah, that's uh, that was a. I remember exactly where I was when when I heard the news, and because I, I I was really I was really digging your band, and yeah, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like when Kurt Cobain died. I know where I was. Wait, how old? How old were you? I am forty three right now. Okay, so you were like I was junior high school. Um, so you were like in high school. I was. You were in high school. No, I was when uh, yeah. when when Shannon died. I was at Ole yeah, Miss. It hit you at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, where were you? Yeah, it was ninety six, right, when he died. Yes, yeah, I was in high school. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so I, you, Dave was a couple years. Well, old. he was twenty eight. He was twenty eight. I was okay. twenty five. Um, I'll be fifty this year. So, um, yeah, you were probably like sophomore, junior in high school. Yeah. So right. Yeah, yeah. In ninety six, I was in college. Um, because that's that's when. Yeah. Anyway. Rogers, hey, we really appreciate you coming on, man. I know you're a busy guy. You got a, you got a, your law practice and, and everything. And I know you guys were on tour this <laughs> oh, past that, weekend. That, that's what's making me busy. That's fucking killing me. Oh, my wife's an um, attorney, and believe me, man, I know, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but it's a hustle. But <laughs> um, yeah, th- thanks a lot, man. And that, these those especially those last few minutes, man, I appreciate that honesty. All right, awesome. I wish you guys well. You know, on the show. Thank you to Rogers for uh, joining us and uh, go to Blind Melon. They have a great Facebook page uh, that you can get all the information you need from. Thanks again, Rogers.
Yeah.